Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 685 of the Juicebox Podcast. We're going to do something today that we haven't done in a little bit. It's an Ask Scott and Jenny episode. This episode is full of questions from you, the listeners, that Jenny and I sat around and mused about. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. The T1D Exchange is looking for U.S. residents who are caregivers of someone with type 1 or have type 1 diabetes themselves to fill out a short survey. It's at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Your simple answers to simple questions will go a long way towards helping people living with type 1 diabetes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. I just looked and we haven't done an Ask Scott and Jenny since 2020, but this one will be the 15th installment. I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by U.S. Med. U.S. Med is a supplier of diabetes supplies, and all you have to do to get a free benefits check from them is go to usmed.com forward slash juicebox or call my number 888-721-1514. The podcast is also sponsored today by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Do you wish you had some of the functionality of an insulin pump, but you like injecting? If that sounds like where you're at, you really might enjoy the InPen. Learn more and get started today at InPenToday.com. <laughs> <All right. laughs> this is what we talk about before we really get talking. <laughs> yeah, people are like, what's happening? Well, they don't, you know, so we just chatted before we started recording and, um, I think that's important for people to kind of relax and 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 get into a flow, which I think if you look at the episodes where I'm interviewing people, that's why the first 10 minutes are sort of like the way they are. You're just trying to get calm and relaxed. And I know there's a world where you could edit all that out, but I think it's interesting to learn about people that way. So anyway. And I think when you're talking to somebody for the first time, honestly, right, you might have emailed with them or whatever to kind of get things set up, but you've probably never really talked to them before. And it's, you have this sort of get to know somebody, you can't just really just start talking no, about a it, topic yeah. off I, the top. <laughs> I do not talk to people before I, I interview them. They fill out no. this very short form. It says, what's your connection to type one? Have you been on another podcast in the last six months? What would you like to talk about? I understand that this is for entertainment purposes only. That's it. And then they jump on and I meet them right in that moment and we start talking. So I love it like that. I wouldn't, I mean, I've interviewed people that I've known about. I, I interviewed Robin Arzon the other day and I had okay. yeah, the Peloton girl that has type one. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I, I, you know, Everybody loves her. I a hundred percent. That's what I tried to tell her. She didn't seem to know, uh, but I, um, I had notes and, you know, she had notes about me and we had, we had, inter I'd interviewed her for print years before she, of course, and with no reason to didn't remember me, but her people filled her in about it. And like, and I don't know, like I would have much rather have us just felt like we were 
like grabbing a drink together, you know? Right. So anyway, it still was a really nice conversation, but all right. So here's what I did, Jennifer. Last mm-hmm. night I was up editing the show rather late mm-hmm. and about two o'clock in the morning as I was going to bed, I thought, I don't want to do a defining diabetes tomorrow when Jenny calls. Oh, <laughs> so, well, I, I, I never know what we're going to talk about. So it's I like, okay, whatever Scott brings to the table today, let's see. I don't treat you much different than anybody else. So, no. um, so I put this little post in the Facebook group and I'll tell you, it just shows how things have grown. Cause you and I've done this before where I'll say, Hey Jenny, I got questions from people and we have eight, five, 10 questions, something yes. like that. So I put up a post eight hours ago in the middle of the night that said, I'm thinking about recording an Ask Scott and Jenny episode tomorrow, but it all depends on if there's questions here when I wake up in the morning. There are 116. <laughs> like, that's like putting something out into the universe and like expecting nothing to ever come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, we'll see what happens, right? It's overnight, blah, blah. Anyway, there are 116 questions in this. <laughs> so I don't oh, my gosh. I don't think we're going to get to all of them. Um, but now we have something to do for the next couple of times that we talk for sure because there's great, there's great questions. So you want to just kick back and do this together? Sure. All right. Uh, do you ever sleep? That, that's for me. I'll answer that later. Um, it's a simple question. Someone said they'd like to know where you put your pods. Me personally? Yeah. Oh, I get asked that an awful lot. So that's actually easy. <laughs> um, my... I guess I don't really have favored locations, although they're the locations that I rotate through. I'd say favored in terms of like one versus another that is better in terms of absorption. Cause I know some people do notice that yeah. I use the backs and kind of the sides of my arms. I never use the tops of my arms or like the bicep area. I know that people do. I don't. Um, I use the front of my abdomen, either above or below my belt line. Mm -hmm. I use my lower back. Um, Those are my go-to places. I do not have luck on my legs. I don't love it on my upper butt. They just, it's almost like I'm not taking enough insulin there. It's an absorption thing. And I just prefer to not go to those places. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's, that's a lot of moving around, which makes me think what I wanted to say was Jenny takes her own advice. Like that's, you know, you know how some people give advice, but don't live it. You know what I mean? I rotate. Yeah, yes. You really are <laughs> rotating your sites. I don't know if you're doing it because you think it's right or because you tell people to rotate and you don't want to be a hypocrite. <laughs> but- <laughs> I think it's probably both. I And I've said before, I, I think it's really important to be a good example. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to do the majority of what you're telling people to do, then why are you talking about it, right. right? No one asked, but Arden wears hers either side of her belly button, kind of in mm-hmm. line with her belly button off to the side a little bit. Uh, she prefers the cannula face towards the belly button, but we will also turn it 180 degrees to face away. She mm-hmm. uses her thighs, <clears throat> tops, not so much more to the outside. She used to, she overused the tops of her thighs. So mm-hmm. she moved it sort of to the, the, the outside is the outer. Right word. Yeah, the outer part of her legs. Um, and I recently, in the last year, finally had luck getting her to put it back on her arms. So we now have, the way I think of it is the legs are kind of, there are a ton of spots because mm-hmm. one spot on your thigh, an inch over, an inch higher, an inch lower, like becomes a lot of different spots. But her thighs, her abdomen, and her, her sides of her upper arms. She, yep. she doesn't like it on the back. 
Okay. So I think it wiggles too much back there for her. Like she's more. It might. Yeah. I actually have a good friend years ago when I started wearing Omnipod. Um, and it was probably a couple years after that that I met somebody through like the diabetes community who I've gotten to be good friends with now, but she out of like swimsuit material, she actually made bands that um, I can put over almost as like a three inch sleeve kind of like a headband for your arm, like a headband for my arm. And like, I've got my pump, my pot on my arm now. And when I run longer, like longer than a 30 minute run, I will typically use one of those because kind of like Arden, it, it does, it, it wiggles. Yeah. I mean, not enough that it's irritating in terms of the actual site, but just it's something you pay attention to. And it's like change jingling in your pocket. Right. <laughs> like you just can't stand it after some time. Well, so for, for Arden, this goes all the way back to when she was young and she played softball and she couldn't put it on her right arm. Cause when she threw the pod would really kind of like torque around. And sure. after that, it was just, you know, the I think the funniest thing that happens with people, kids, maybe adults as well, is they get rules in their head. Like, so after a while, she just thought, oh, it doesn't go on my arms because we don't put it on my arms. And there was a reason that we stopped doing that. And then I had to sure. tell her one day, I was like, you're not throwing a softball anymore. Stop. So please, yeah. let's try the arm let's, again. Let's yeah. move around a little bit. I will say, though, from a site rotation, those sites that I don't use um, for my pods or infusion from any pump, honestly, not just my pods or when I've, what, when I've used a tubed pump too, but my upper thigh and my, my upper butt also, they work really well for my sensors. So mm-hmm. it's not that those sites don't get used. It's just that they, I don't use them for insulin. Okay. And so. Arden, Arden puts her CGMs on her hips kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was going to say longitudinally and let, but I don't, I'm not sure which is which anyway, sort of like the, <laughs> the top of her butt crack and you kind of draw a line around to her yep. sides and there's sort of like a flat spot in her sides and you, you yep. put it there and she just goes left, right, left, right. She's been doing it for years like that. So, yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Next question. Thank you for that question. Blue. Next question is from Christine and she said, at what age do teenage years and, f- and having fluctuating blood sugars due to hormones get better? So, this isn't like hormones relative to either male versus female. It sounds like it's just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say though, from female hormone standpoint, um, is that the cat? It is the cat. The cat <laughs> would like to be let out of my office. So I'm going to let the cat out. Go ahead, go ahead. So the cat doesn't keep banging on the door. It sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> You know what arrived at my house just the other day? The Omnipod 5. It came to us directly from US Med. Here's what I did. I contacted Omnipod and I said, I would like to get Omnipod 5. I did it just the same way you guys are going to do it. Didn't get any special treatment. Omnipod contacted US Med and said, I have a customer here that would like to get their Omnipod 5 supplies from you. Okay, not so tough. I think Omnipod then contacted my doctor, had a script sent, and bada bing, bada boom, a box showed up at my house with the Omnipod 5 starter kit. And we're already set up for future deliveries of the pods that we'll need to continue with Omnipod 5. 
it was, in fact, exactly that easy. They can do that for you as well. Maybe you're looking for Libre 2 or the Dexcom G6. How about the Omnipod Dash? US Med has it. And so much more. At this point, you're thinking, Scott, I'm in. How do I try it? Well, you're in luck. You can either use the internet, usmed.com forward slash juice box to get your free benefits check, or you can use this phone number that US Med has provided just for juice box podcast listeners. It is 888 721 1514. US Med accepts Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. They always provide 90 days worth of supplies and they have fast and free shipping. I will now make a seamless transition to the in-pen from Medtronic Diabetes. Are you using an insulin pen but wish it did more? The in-pen is probably what you're looking for because the in-pen is a reusable smart insulin pen that uses Bluetooth technology to send dose information to a mobile app. This offers you support with dose calculations and tracking. InPen helps take some of the mental math out of your diabetes management. You can get started with InPen today at, <laughs> see what I did there? Well, well, you don't know yet, but you'll see in a second. You can get started with InPen today at InPenToday.com. Take the guesswork out of your dosing. Your InPen app will show you your current glucose levels, your dosing calculator, active insulin remaining, meal history, dose history, glucose history, and an activity log and other reports. The pen itself, it's just what you expect. It's a pen with a cap, an insulin needle, a dosing knob, a dosing window, and a button to do your injections with. The InPen's also surprisingly affordable. I hope you check it out. InPenToday.com. That's all you have to do. Head over there right now. There are links in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening in right now to InPen, US Med, and all of the sponsors. You can also find them at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you click on the links, you're supporting the show. usmed.com forward slash juicebox. InPenToday.com. I'm now going to get you back to Jenny, who, by the way, works at integrateddiabetes.com if you'd like to hire her. That's too funny. I totally thought that she was out of my office. I heard that noise and I thought, <laughs> hopefully that's Jenny's cat or she's 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 abducted a neighborhood child and they're locked in the basement. No, 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 no. <laughs> she bangs on my closet doors, not the actual door to get out. She bangs on the closet doors when she wants. I don't know. She's it's a good sound. You know, made me made me pay attention. Anyway, sorry. So no, I was um I don't, can't remember my thought now. I was on a pattern. I so was going to say. You, you started talking about, we're not, I guess we're not talking about hormones for gender specific, oh, right? Right, right. So hormones from a female hormone perspective with monthly cycles. Um, I've found that it's when the cycles tend to get a lot more regular that things tend to get more stable, um, girls or females also tend to stop growing sooner mm-hmm. than men do. Um, so from that perspective, when a growth phase for girls, like they're no longer getting taller, you can tell visit after visit at the doctor, they're just not growing in height any longer. Right. They might have a very regular cycle. 
that's when things do tend to even out more. There's not as much of that flux. Um, If the cycle isn't very regular, then it could very well be that you've got a lot more ups and downs still because those hormones are still so much on a rise and fall that's not sort of a pattern, right? Um, Guys tend to grow longer than girls do Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the male hormone effect and growth patterns. So you could have fluctuations, you know, through and up to about the age of 18, sometimes beyond, obviously. Um, But again, some of it also has to do with have they finished growing? Are they more into a pattern of life? Um, all of those kinds of things. Cause I think a lot of the variability in those teen years is just life as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, m- most teens don't have a very rigid schedule outside of a school schedule where, you know, the typical pattern other than that, sports come in in the afternoon, extracurricular activities, weekends are completely different. You might have sleeping in compared to getting up early. I, there's just right. a lot of stuff in the teen years that I think causes a lot of fluctuation that because we talk so much about growth, a lot of people think it's just growth. And some of it may just be the variables of right. The, the, the unexpected left turns you take in the middle of an afternoon, like I'm going to go run yes. and jump on the trampoline now, or, yes. you know, my friends came over and we're going to go play baseball in the backyard. Right. When you're 37, you don't randomly get up at three 30 in the afternoon <laughs> and go play Not baseball. usually. Yeah. No, no. And if you Not are, unless you have kids. Yeah. And if you are, you're an Instagram influencer and you're living an amazing life because uh, <laughs> I just sit here and make this podcast. I'm, and, and Jenny sits where she's sitting, talking to people about their diabetes. So, um, <laughs> yes. All right. So let's see. Next question is from Denise. I would love to hear about how you handle times when there are Dexcom sensor issues. How many times would you calibrate before giving up on a sensor? Do you calibrate? And if so, when? Jenny and I did an entire episode about calibration, um, which you should definitely check out. But We did. um, To answer the question... Arden doesn't have a lot of problems with Dexcom. It it jives with her body chemistry pretty well. Um, I would say that with G6, it's interesting. I I don't know this for certain, but they must make improvements to that device as they go, like with the algorithm. They must, I don't know, they must, because it's never the same. The product's always better at the end of its product life, like as they're getting ready to launch the new one than it is at the beginning, I feel like. Do you see that too? Do you ever see that? Like it, Hmm. maybe I just get better at using it over time. Is that possible? Could be. Right? That could be, yeah. yeah. Because I'll tell you, like, Arden puts a sensor on. I wish we planned better, but we don't. It usually happens like this. Someone hears the noise that, which is like the out of, you know, there's no, right. da- there's been no data. And then everybody's head drops and goes, oh, how long has it been since we put on a sensor? You start thinking, and when you can't remember, you're like, this must be it. And, you know, uh, like, as an example, we put a new sensor on her at 1.30 in the morning, Friday night. <laughs> Would have been nice to... Do it at Have eight, it ahead. nine, ten. Um, put it on, came on, was pretty accurate, was happy with it. Um, yeah. I have had them come on and be wildly off, you know, 80, 90, 100 points sometimes. When that happens, I do what I talked about on the calibration episode is I just kind of, I slow calibrate it back to where it needs to be. If it's a, if uh, her blood sugar is really 100 and the thing says she's 200, I tell it she's 170 and then it agrees with that and you let it go a little longer. And then I tell it she's 150 and I calibrated it. 
I kind of move it on my own. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. right or not, but it works and we have a lot of success. Um, as far as sensors just going bad, I hate to say this, Arden's last right out 10 days, I mean, constantly, you know? Yeah. So. I know. I, And that's where I really do think that there's more about body chemistry than there's any information mm-hmm. about. I think people get the sense that a sensor just doesn't work very well. And they may come from a previous brand to another brand and say, well, it's better, certainly better, but it's still not, not right. quite perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I also thankfully don't have a lot of sensor issues, at least not, not recently. Um, the previous to G6, you know, G5, G4, even the seven series, I didn't really have much issues with those at all. In fact, my G5s, I could restart for three three weeks. Yeah. I'd get like 21 days out of a sensor yeah. and then it was like falling off. So I finally had to change it, right? Um, but the G6 initially, I would almost like clockwork, eight days, I would get the three-hour sensor error warning. Mm-hmm. It would start back up. I'd get it again. I would call the, I was calling Dexcom almost weekly because it literally was dying on day eight. Okay. And, and I don't know what shifted kind of goes along with maybe they've changed something algorithm or the, the sensor coding on the outside of that filament. I don't know, but I've not had that problem. Hmm. And I can't say that my body chemistry has just decided to do like, you know, a 180 and sort of be completely different. And now it just works better for me. I don't know. Um, I mostly now get 10 days. I typically, if I'm going to have a bad sensor, it's usually only bad for about eight to 12 hours after starting it up. Mm -hmm. And my trend is that it's not high inaccurate. It's low inaccurate. If my sensors are going to be off, they're going to be off and they're going to tell me that my blood sugar's like 42 mm-hmm. consistently, even though it's in the eighties, nineties, low hundred, it'll just keep telling me I'm low. And I avoid calibrating at that point right? because I've had enough issue with trying to do it in that first kind of startup time that then I've had sensors fail. Mm-hmm. So I just, I leave it alone. So I just open my algorithm and don't let my pump adjust off of those funny values and just right. go ahead. So it's funny when you're, you you said something that really made me think when Arden's is off for a, an extended amount of time, it's lower when it's high off, I can bang it back down again. And it works when mm-hmm. it's low off. She's 53, 55, 56. It just thinks that's what she is. You text her. She's 85. It doesn't matter what she is. And right. it does just sort of come online and just, is kind of magical and then works great after that. Yeah. Um, if you're using an algorithm like Arden is and like Jenny was just saying, then I just, I mean, for this, I open the loop and mm-hmm. we test, we test like every 90 minutes or so. And then through the health app on the iPhone, just enter it. Yeah. You enter her blood sugar on the health app and the loop app pulls the number from there. And it's usually enough to get by until it, right. until it straightens out. That is, <clears throat> That concern from people who are new, um, or even sometimes I see older people, the idea of I can never go on an algorithm because what if the sensor's wrong? It's going to kill me. You know, like it just doesn't go that way. No. And and unless there comes to be a system that doesn't allow you to go back to manual use mode, 
quite honestly, you came from manual pumping or manual inject. I mean, you have something to go back to. If you know enough that something is inaccurate, don't use it while it's inaccurate, right? right? Do what you know how to do, even if it means you have to go back to a little bit more old school. Mm -hmm. Don't use a system that's going to adjust off of a blood sugar that's 42 when you're not sitting at 42. (laughs) Do you think sometimes that people get stubborn, um, meaning they have this feeling like this thing that I paid for is supposed to do this and it's not doing it, so I'm going to be mad at it. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course, absolutely. I see it. I'm just like, open the loop and test every once in a while. This thing will work right. in a little bit. We'll be fine. It sucks if it happens overnight because it's telling you you're low, you're low, and you're like, I'm, you're not. But even that's a mindset thing. I have to say, when Arden was really young, I met this person in the community who had an older child already, and they would tell me, you know, it's great that you guys have these CGMs, and I think they're amazing, but you know, my daughter never had one. And there Mm -hmm. she is, and she's fine. And what that made me think was, oh, okay. Like, it's all right if once in a while Arden goes to sleep and her blood sugar is 135 and it climbs to 150 overnight and I fix it at four in the morning or when we wake up or something like that. Like, that's not the end of her life if that that happens, you know? But it felt like it back then, you you know, when, when she was younger. Because you were used to having so much information to utilize, to keep her where you really know is a safe value Mm long-term to be sitting. Right. But I mean, I, you know, and that's a point that I bring up with people all the time too. I mean, I had, I had nothing fancy in technology growing up. Right. Heck, I made it through college without anything fancy. (laughs) But you were still paying attention to your health, right? Oh, of course. I mean, I used probably more, more test strips in my life prior to a CGM mm-hmm. then yeah. <laughs> probably was necessary, but <laughs> I was a little bit OCD. I was like, must know what my blood sugar is. All right. So. Let's get to, um, let's see. The next question just says, it's not really formed as a question, but that's okay. It says breastfeeding a type one baby or toddler. So mm, is that, yeah. do you bolus? Uh, I guess you that's, do, right? It's a hard one. So talking about not the mother has type one, but the baby or the toddler actually yes. has type one. Yes. It's a it's a difficult scenario, honestly, because unless you have a very rigid schedule of nursing or even formula feeding, I mean, this kind of goes along because that age, that's a child's mean nutrition intake. It's either breast milk or formula, right? So unless you really have an idea of how much the child is eating, there's not really a way to carb count that per se. (laughs) Um, If you have a little bit more regularity, a lot of people tend to sort of coat with a basal insulin, Mm -hmm. knowing that nursing, especially an infant typically is going to be nursing every three-ish hours until they get a little bit further out into post-newborn stage, right? So sometimes there is a coding with a basal knowing that you have regularity to nursing or formula feeding. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a known amount more like formula and you can gauge how many ounces the child is going to take at a time, you could base that on a dosing strategy then with rapid acting insulin. Mm -hmm. The big thing with that is 
we would usually, as much as we talk about pre-bolusing for something like that, you just, you don't pre-bolus. There's no way to know how much a child who usually drinks, you know, three ounces at a, at a feeding time today, for whatever reason, they're fussy and they're only taking one ounce. Well, you can't bolus or do anything for that until you know. Or talk them into it if they need more food. Or, right. Or there, and there is no more food. What are you going to do? Correct. Give them a gummy bear? Get, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it, I mean, it, it's not really until that child is, and I've worked with a couple um, of people, you know, more recently who have littles who have either just weaned off of nursing in that case, their basal needs actually have gone down Mm -hmm. because what we were doing were, we were coating the overall nursed milk intake with basal, knowing that it was very regular night and day. And until they were weaned and we had a little bit more in terms of a breakfast, a snack, a lunch, a snack, and how to kind of coax that with bolus insulin. It, it, I know it's a difficult time. So it sounds like to me that you adapted that. So there's that, there's that old timey endo idea for people who they think don't bolus for their meals, right? They jack them up on basil and then they know they're going to eat. So they're feeding the insulin. They're not really feeding the insulin. They're feeding the drop before the drop happens because they're eating on a schedule. So you keep the baby's basil at a spot where it's impactful of those every three hour feeding schedules. Correct. All right. Yeah. And are you shooting for what blood sugar are you shooting for? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, most doctors are happy as long as they're not dropping usually below like 120. Mm -hmm. Honestly, um, most, most parents find that littles like that will often drop very rapidly if they get under about 120 ish. It's a very rapid drop. And depending on then what they're able to tolerate in food intake, where they are in their intake of, you know, this kind of food versus that, um, it becomes really important to know how much does it take to turn that around? And um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing. Uh, Corrections, Correction insulin often is very, very, very tiny. In fact, we often end up dealing with diluting insulin so that you can actually get a larger dose because again, pens and um, pens and even syringes, the littlest that you can dose is about a half a unit. Um, I mean, if you're really good on a syringe, you might be able to get, you know, a quarter unit kind of in there, mm-hmm. um, but it's a little bit easier to see volume doses. If you dilute the insulin in a larger volume, you get the same dose, yeah. um, you know. Uh, I, I um, it's two things that makes me think of. The one is I, at some point when Arden was super small, I um, took insulin and I put it in a dish and I colored it with food coloring so I could see it. And then I practiced pulling on the syringe enough to get a drop in so I could. Ah. And so it wasn't by eye anymore. It was like feel. So I, I taught myself how to just pull on it enough to get a drop of insulin out of it. And then I would, yeah. I would try to correct her with a drop of insulin. That was not fun. I did. I don't know. Re- I don't remember any of that fondly. Um, yeah. Okay. That's uh that's good information. And I'm assuming if you can afford it or have insurance, a CGM with a baby is probably Maybe like the best thing you could do, right? A CGM above, I mean, above even a pump, a CGM is by far the best technology that you could possibly get. Mm -hmm. And even at that age, pumps are not necessarily the greatest thing for some kiddos. Um, Either it's a 
wearability issue or it's a pull it and tug it and pick at it and it's not worthwhile putting it on when it gets picked off by the end of the day anyway. And there's only so much hiding that you can do with a child. It's going to find it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that that makes sense. Thank you. Um, Let's see. What does Monica say here? Oh, Monica's going to ask a question that I'm going to answer by saying, you should listen to the pro tip series, but we'll go over there it. You go. How can I reduce post meal spikes? My six year old is on MDI. Hold on a second. <clears throat> this is it. I can't some water. I'm water. I'm drinking water. tea. I'm drinking water. <clears throat> um, my six years, my six year old is on MDI. We always make sure to pre bolus before food. She dips into hypo, but we almost always still spiked over 180. I listen to the podcast. I believe the basal levels are good. Anything else we can improve or work on to reduce spikes. Also, this is not a question, but I want to say thank you to you, to you and Jenny for all that you do. So that's very nice. Oh. Thank you very much. Yes. All right. Yes, you're welcome. Absolutely. So she's pre-bolusing on MDI, dipping down, dropping up. Pre-bolus is too long? I would say either pre-bolus is too long or... To get rid of a potential spike, you could pre-bolus the length of time. On MDI, you could always do a split bolus plan, especially if this is for a child that you don't necessarily know if they're actually going to finish everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you could pre-bolus the amount that they that you know that they'll definitely finish up eating. And then, you know, by the end of the meal, bolus the rest of it. So you don't, you kind of take care of getting rid of that ultimate dip that you end up having to treat. And therein may also be if you're treating a low and then having a rise later, the rise actually might be going up higher because you're having to treat the dip first along with the food being there, right? So it's kind of a double whammy of, well, I have to take care of the low with something quick because the food isn't obviously all hitting yet, Mm -hmm. but then the food does catch up. So it could be a double bolus strategy still with pre-bolus or first thing may just be to decrease the pre-bolus time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I would either, I mean, that's how it occurs to me. Like just from this small description, shorter pre-bolus, maybe, maybe even shorter pre-bolus, a little heavier on the carb ratio, maybe depending on what could happens, be. you know, it, what you see next mm-hmm. or, or yeah, I'd split it. I'd put some in, get treat it like a baby, right? Like right. Um, baby. It's funny. I think of uh, babies and or young people and gastroparesis is the same thing. Put in enough to get the insulin on your side, and if it starts happening the way you expect, then put in the rest. Right. Um, that way, you kind of stay out of a spike. Okay. Uh, Helen asks, "How do you and Jenny deal with fat and protein using loop?" Dude, mm, I, now I'm trying. I'll tell you what. As I said it out loud, I thought to myself, "Does Jenny eat fat?" <laughs> <laughs> By the way, now for my just des- now for my description, people believe that you weigh 86 pounds and you're just one muscle wrapped around a bone. But no, no, I just <laughs> I just mean you're a healthier eater. But you Thanks. have French fries sometimes, I imagine. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Not often. In yes, June at the fair, Jenny, is that when you do it? <laughs> Maybe. <yes. laughs> um, yeah, I mean, fat and protein. And again, I think this is where an individual nature of evaluation first needs to be done. Mm-hmm. How does it seem to impact you or your child or whoever you're caretaking for, right? Um, there are some sort of starting rules of when to start adding in extras for fats and proteins. 
and how much of each you should add in. Mm -hmm. In general, in a looping situation, since that's what the question is really asking about, forward stamping a fat or protein amount into the future from the actual meal time. So let's say you have, you know, a whole pizza for dinner, like many of my college students may definitely do, mm -hmm. right? There is a large amount of fat there. There may even be a very large amount of protein, depending on what was on that pizza, as an example. Mm -hmm. um, bolusing for the carbs right now is an important thing that has to get going. Um, the absorption time is also really important here. So you're not going to put in one or two hours for pizza because despite the crust being a lot of carb, you're going to have a lengthy digestion of that because of the slowing factor of fats right. and proteins, right? Now, fat and protein then can start to hit later in the aftermath. So one to three hours after a meal, protein starts this climb if you've eaten enough of it. Somewhere between two to four hours after a meal is where fat climb typically starts to hit. Um, so determining first how much you might need to cover. Mm -hmm. Most often protein somewhere between 30 to 50% of the total amount of protein might need to be put in um, as if it were a carb entry, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and then determine where into the future to timestamp. Let's say it's you know 5 p.m. and you're having your pizza, uh, expect protein to probably start hitting somewhere around, let's say seven o'clock, two yeah. hours later, give or take. Whereas fat, large amount probably is going to take about three to four hours to kind of come into play. Right. So again, how much fat, 10, 20, 30% of the fat to maybe get going. Again, grams of fat are important, grams of protein. So this becomes less carb centric counting and more overall macro knowing how much is in the actual portion mm -hmm. that you're eating, yeah. um, which most people have never been taught. We are taught how to look at grams of carbs. So it's it. something new to learn about if you're planning to start using this strategy, um, but time stamping it into the future. So then loop has an idea in, in terms of the system loop will see that you stamped this coming forward into the hours ahead. And especially if you save without bolusing, mm -hmm. then loop will see missing insulin for the carbs that you've already entered that it's, it's watching for, because remember it's predictive glucose line is going out hours into the future beyond this point. Yeah. So it's looking for the impact of that. And if you can give it information about what may be coming into the picture to hit you, it should aggressively bolus. It could either bolus, aggressively yeah. bolus if you're using auto bolus or aggressively increase basal. If you're using the, the basal branch. Right. right. I, so I, I just, don't know what you do. So there's two ways. Like you can set up. I I have in the past set it up exactly the way you think, uh, way you just said. the The other way I just sort of think of it is this: that they're just different impacts. So there's mm -hmm. an impact from the carbs, there's an impact from the protein, and there's an impact from the fat. They're basically just three different pre-bolusing opportunities in my mind. So you pre-bolus the meal around 80 minutes later. I know the first rise is going to come. Then you pre-bolus that rise. And then it's a waiting game. 
I either do it so well that I see this like 85 blood sugar and I'm like, I, I've done it. I won. This is over. Like uh, there's enough insulin in there and the fat's hitting at the same time and it's having this fight and we're winning. Or I start seeing the drift up and then I, I'll reevaluate and bolus for the fat impact as well. And add more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of this one specific difficult foods uh, situation. Uh, it's this bar food that Arden has a number of times a year. She's basically getting a bowl of nachos with cheesesteak on top of it and like guacamole and sour cream, right? Everything that's hard to bolus for all put together. And then there's French fries. <laughs> so, you know, so it's fat from the fries and then it's the French fries are processed and, you know, they're not like, yeah. it's not like we cut up a russet potato at home. And I don't, baked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. some frozen thing that shows up in a bag at a bar, you know? Um, right. That's the, I'll tell you what, if you can bolus for that, I'll give away a little bit of where the country I'm in. If you can, uh, if you can bolus for cheesesteak nachos and crab fries at Chickie's, uh, I think you're a ninja because it's hard to do. Um, but um, that to me, that's it. I just think of it as impacts. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter to me that it's fat or that it's protein. It's a, it's a known quantity that is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I just pre-bolus it. Right. So, and how much? How do you know how much is it? Then a try, right? Because that's that's really the behind the scenes question here. As I said, we're really carb centric with diabetes education. Yeah. We don't talk about fats and proteins. I would say that the majority of people that I talk to don't even know what a portion of protein is supposed to look like. Right. Some people don't even know outside of butter. Don't realize where fat is in the food that they're eating. Mm -hmm. So then taking the step further to say, well how to, how to add quantity. Like what am I, how much of this is, am I eating? How many grams? Now you're telling me I have to go back to school and <laughs> like yeah. relearn again. Right. Well, I developed those ideas after you and I, you know, talk through, um, I have a list in front of me here actually. And at the end of this episode, <clears throat> if I don't die <clears throat> at the end of this episode, I'm going to list other episodes that I think will help people with these questions. Awesome. But here, I'm going to tell you that you and I did um, a pro tip back at 263 fat and protein. Then we defined it again at 360. I had a really great conversation um, and in episode 264 with a person who boluses for their keto diet. That actually helped yeah. me. That helped me a lot with the protein. And then at 471, we had a long conversation about the Warsaw method and mm -hmm. about bolusing for fat. It's all of these like I take this question and I know the, how important this is, right? And I want to talk about it. But to the person that asked this specific question, Helen, I'm good at this because I've had a thousand conversations with people about it. Correct. And I've tried it over and over again. Like it's not because someone walked up to me and said, hey, fat impacts and protein impacts. You got a bolus for it. Like I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with that information, you know? Right. So. Right. Well, and that's where I think even the information in the – um the Warsaw method, which is really well done in, um, what is it? Um, waltzing the dragon, waltzing the dragon yeah, right? I, I was going to say dancing the dragon. But, I was like, that's not that's, right. That's, 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 <laughs> waltzing the dragon. That's the person I did that episode with. Yeah. yeah they yeah. have a very good descriptive because they go through all of the calculations and protein and fat. And then at the very end, they kind of give real life and they say, well, we found that if we cover all of this, as this method suggests, we end up with these issues. So we've found that we have to cover only this certain percent of, of protein and not very much fat. Yeah. And it ends up working mm -hmm. best for us. So again, 
there are some starting places, some tools to begin with, and then you really have to evaluate how does it work for you? I mean, I myself have found the meals that I make, like I I, I know I've said before, I make homemade pizza, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I typically make like an almond flour crust or a cauliflower almond flour crust, which almond flour in general, it's high fat because it's made from nuts, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like I'm pouring in loads of butter and oil. It's just that the nature of what I'm using is high fat. So I've found with that particular meal, a certain strategy that definitely works. My pizzas are not terribly high in protein. They're just a lot higher in fat mm-hmm. because of what they're made from. So it's more the fat effect that I end up covering. Yeah. I don't really even worry about protein there. Right. Jenny, if this was just a regular episode, I would title it Fatty Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a great title. Or Jenny has fatty nuts. I don't know. I would... <laughs> Jenny eats fatty nuts. I yeah, don't know. Maybe you that got it. No, 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 you got know. it. That's it. You, you, we we workshop that one right to the right one. Jenny eats fatty nuts would have definitely been the episode title. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because <laughs> I'm a child in my mind. Uh, okay, so I think we have we can do one more or give a little time. Yeah, I've got yeah. a little time. Christina says uh, this is about her college age type one. 12 and, a, uh, 12 and a half years living with type one, my 18 year old son forgets to bolus before he eats at least once a day. And she's very clear. She said, this isn't a refusal to use insulin. It's not bad behavior. He just right out forgets. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not a type one, but she gets frustrated and it makes her angry. She said that um, she realized the disease sucks. And despite being manageable, it's still not easy. And this is all coming from a place of love. She's just trying to get him through college. Sure. This is tough. Um, So this is a college student. Yeah. Who's had diabetes a good part of his life. A long time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my first starting things would be, since it's not because this adult child wants to forget, it's just, there are a lot of things being a a student in general, as well as a college student, there are a lot of, there's clutter that gets in the way there just is. So one, if it's a regular time of day that the bolus is often forgotten and it doesn't sound like it's what it's every day or it's a couple days a week. It it sounds like it's every day, like Like once a day, once a day, the kid flakes and just doesn't bolus. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cause I was going to say, if it's a regular meal of the day, then perhaps setting a timer around that time of day, just as a suggestive, even on the phone, just a, it's noon. I usually eat somewhere between noon and one o'clock. Sometimes it can jog the brain enough to just remind you. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. Um, I mean, the what other one tattoo would, right on your top of your hand. <laughs> there you go. Bullets for food, Bullets right? For food. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I'll tell you what, this has nothing to do with diabetes, but I'm going to share this here. My son is 22. He is a senior in college at this moment. He is about to graduate. Yay. We're very excited not to send that college money anymore. And, um, and oh, for all of his success, et cetera, but mostly about that. <laughs> um, here's something I've noticed over his four years of college. It's fascinating. We don't see him constantly, obviously, right? I talk to him every once in a while. I text with him sometimes. Um, go see him here and again. He will tell me the same stories over and over again. He is not that person. He's never been that person. When he comes home for the summer, it does not happen. And huh. so I used to think, 
at first I was like, uh oh, this kid's doing smack. (laughs) 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 He's losing brain cells. Something is not right here. I had a I had a drug thought from the mid seventies. No, but um, I realized it's none of that. It's that he is so busy and so tired. He doesn't even remember having told me the story the last time sure. I saw him. And I think yes. this is probably part of this. Like 18 years old, this kid sounds like a freshman, right? It's yep. a lot of adjustment. I think you and I think if you want to come from a loving place, you say to him, look, this is gonna become it'll become commonplace for you at some point. But until it does, maybe we gotta make up a code word for bolus and you need to write it on the top of a book or I don't know, paint one of your fingernails red so that when you look at it, you think, why is my one finger? Oh, it's because I don't balls for my me. I don't know something. You you, you know what I mean? Something. Well, that's why I said the alarm as a reminder, if it is a typical time of day for it to happen within Mm -hmm. sometimes just that cue in to the brain can, like you said, wake them up in a way as a reminder. Um, College is a hard, it's hard. There's Sleep patterns are disrupted, you know, at home. If he had been living at home, mom and dad or other caregivers were likely there. And or in high school, maybe he was one that had to go by protocol to the school nurse. And it was this pattern of consistency that helped the bolus always be put where it needed to be, right? In college, they have to remember to do everything. They have to remember to get food for one thing actually remember to put themselves to bed, right. do homework, do their laundry. I, I mean, <laughs> all these things. My, my son plays a sport on top of that. I don't even know how he's staying alive. I'll tell you, if he ever hears this or somebody he knows ever hears this in the future, I am going to tell him about this after he graduates. I have never brought it up to him. I just let him tell me the story and I'm just and, happy, I'm yeah. happy to be with him. And he's just, right. he's got a lot going on, you know? Right. So it's, yeah. uh, it's just a lot. Yeah. So yeah, reminders I think are the best little nudge that you can probably do. So about the the getting frustrated and angry part, I understand that too. But I think earlier in this episode we talked about something where I said I realized that a one forty blood sugar for a couple of hours isn't going to be the end of Arden. I Correct. Think, I think that's how you almost have to think of this too. Like this is not a kid slipping off a slope. This is. To me, right. and don't get me wrong, I've interviewed people, and there are people that are going to ask questions later where they did fall off that that True. edge. They just stopped paying attention, and it got easier to ignore and stuff. But in this specific situation, I don't think this sounds like what's happening here. So no, and, well, and she kind of states, you know, he's he takes care of himself. Yeah. Typically, it's just, and that's why I was wondering if it was a, a time of day because if it was a, an especially busy time of day or. The first thing in the morning, he's forgetting to bolus for breakfast pretty regularly. It could very well be he's just like like getting up. Oh my goodness, I'm five minutes late. I have to get out the door, and I'm going to grab you know my apple on the way out the door. And oh, I totally forgot to bolus. The last time I went to my to see my son, I drove with a bottle of Zyrtec with me. I took a bottle of Zyrtec, 180 miles in a two and a half hour car drive, and I said to him, "You know, there's a pharmacy up the street from your dorm." and you have a car, just drive there and buy the Zyrtec. And he said to me, in all honesty, I would not know when to do that. And I was like, okay, I got you. Even when I I took him out to dinner the other day after a baseball game, I was like, where do you want to go? He goes, I don't know this town. I was like, you've been here for four years. He goes, "I, I play baseball, and I go to class. And I sit in my room, and I do my homework, and I pass out. He's like, I don't have time for any of this. I don't take 
time. Well, right. that's actually from a parental standpoint. You're like, great. Time where all the local bars are, yeah. all the local, right? We, I we mean, walked into a little bar restaurant the other night. He goes, I've heard this is a good place. Let's try this. Four years, he had never been there. I was, right. I, I was a little happy. I was like, Weren't great. you a little happy as a parent? Yes. <laughs> a little bit. Can we roll through one more? Or are you done? Absolutely. Are the carb values you enter into loop usually close to the carbs listed on the nutrition labels? So does, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. And you also obviously, I mean, we've talked about fiber before. Mm-hmm. You also have to take a peek at fiber amount, depending on the kind of food that you're eating. Right. But again, all of that is nutrition information. That's, it's yours for the picking. Mm-hmm. It's right there. It's not an estimate. There is as much precision as there could possibly be in this carb count. Um Compared to just staring at the plate and wondering because you have no label. Right. Yes, absolutely. So, so go into that fiber thing a little more. You subtract for, what do you do? Subtract for fiber. Um, I do take it as a little step further because there are, um, there are added fibers to a lot of the foods in the grocery store today mm-hmm. because companies kind of have latched on to the, well, gosh, if it's high in fiber, more people are going to buy it because it's going to be so much better for them, right? Mm. Well, those fibers oftentimes are very soluble added fibers that don't have the same slowing impact as unprocessed fibers, fiber in fruits and natural vegetables in lentils and in beans and some of your whole grains and oats and those types of things, sprouted grain breads, like, um, like the Ezekiel bread. I mean, that's per slice has like five grams of fiber per slice. I think it, I mean, just an exorbitant amount. So in terms of subtraction, if you're going to subtract fiber, I recommend subtracting definitely from more of your unprocessed types of foods. Okay. Um, some of the ones that are more like your fiber one types of products or something like that, you'll likely find that if you subtract the fiber, you're going to end up with a higher blood sugar than you want. Okay. Because most of that fiber <laughs> is more of a soluble type of fiber. Mm-hmm. It'll have a little slower impact, but it's very likely you're still going to need to cover it. Um, there are some more of the like keto or those types of breads and grains that are out there that do have added fibers. They may be more like, um, the word is going to escape me now. Um, like the unprocessed, like cornstarch kind of where it has a slowing impact on blood sugar and it doesn't really get digested, if you will. Mm -hmm. So that's why they can consider it so low carb. You know, they list the net carbs as like two grams per slice instead of eight or nine grams per slice. So because the fiber on those labels can definitely mean you would have to subtract it. The big thing is you kind of have to give it a try and see see. what it does for you. Actually, you don't know this, but Arden has been eating gluten-free for five days now. And we all are doing it with her as a show of solidarity. It's the one of the things that her her doctor, actually Dr. Benito, asked her to try. So mm-hmm. like we're da- we've now like Arden's had a blood test for everything that exists on the planet for like joint pain and stuff like that. And it just she she just luckily keeps coming. I mean, it, you're a, it's a happy day when someone says your kid does not appear to have RA. You know, you're like that's good. Right. But at the same time, you're like, could someone? say something find something helpful please <laughs> yeah. you, you know so we're giving this a whirl right now and um and anyway we'll see how that goes thank you for doing this yeah. um we there are a lot more here 
I'm gonna say awesome. I'm gonna save them and I'm gonna tell you that I think the next number of times that we uh we do this, we, we're gonna do this. Cool. So awesome. I'd like to thank InPen from Medtronic Diabetes for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast and remind you to go to InPenToday.com to get started. I'd also like to thank US Med. Head to usmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514 to get your free benefits check. US Med has served over 1 million diabetes customers since 1996. Check them out online or give them a call. Jenny works at integrateddiabetes.com. And don't forget to please consider taking that survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. If you enjoyed this and are looking for other Ask Scott and Jenny episodes, I believe there are 14 previous ones. There's a great list in the private Facebook group. It's Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. You go to the Featured tab at the top. There's uh, lists and lists of the different series within the podcast. Ask Scott and Jenny is one of them. You'll see the episode numbers there, and then you'll be able to go back into your podcast player and find them. There's tons of topics I think somewhere Isabel's made a list of them with what's actually inside of them, but that's beyond my pay grade, so I'm not sure. What else? Oh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and follow in the app you're listening in. Say you're in uh, Amazon Music or Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, doesn't matter what app you're using, hit subscribe or follow, please. And if you're listening online, I'm glad for you if it works that way, not trying to change you, but the cool kids would listen in a podcast app. I'm just saying. You might be falling behind the times. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.